Hello, everyone. Welcome to a bonus episode of the Be A Boss Coaching Podcast. My name is Beatriz. I am an entrepreneur and business coach for women of color, BIPOC, and queer entrepreneurs. I'm the founder of Be A Boss Coaching and your host for this podcast. And I'm excited because... I know you're going to have such a good time with this episode. I am so grateful to have been able to connect with Katia Quesada, who is a media and news producer and the host of Sipota Colocha Says. She is incredible, somebody that I am so grateful to have been connected to and to have found and to be in community with and in honor of Hispanic Heritage Month I'm glad to bring you this episode because she is someone that truly has inspired me to connect back to my cultural heritage to my roots as a Salvadoreña and to look deeper and dig deeper into my history and she's just truly amazing I'm glad that she connected with me and we did this and she's someone that I know I am gonna come back to as I continue on this journey of thinking about who I am I've thought about it in different layers in terms of being this this person, this coach, being a business owner, helping other people, and now sort of looking back to my history and my ancestral roots. So we talk some good stuff. We talk about news, about what we think about news, our childhood, growing up. We talk about some spiritual stuff. We talk about El Salvador and it's just beautiful. I'm so happy that I had this conversation with her. So if you're interested in learning more about Kat, go over to the show notes where you can find a link to her podcast, her website. Make sure you go follow her and let us know what you thought. But honestly, I just had such a great time talking with her, getting connected back to my history and having her as someone that is shining a light and really guiding all of us who want to connect back to to who we are in that sense in our cultural sense in our ancestral sense and I'm glad that she's doing that work so without further ado I hope you enjoy the show I am really excited today to have this special episode with someone that I got connected with and I'm so glad that I was connected with her through communities that I've been a part of. So today I have with me Katia Quesada and I will let her introduce herself but I just want to share in my excitement as to getting to know her and being in community with her because she's a fellow Salvadoreña like me (laughs) and also somebody in the journalism space. So I'm really excited to hear more about that as well. 
as someone who is interested in telling stories. So I will let her introduce herself and go into who she is and what she does. Thank you so much, Kat, for being here. Thank you for the for la invitación. I'm going to switch back and forth as I usually do um, in Spanish and English. Um, hello, everyone, to your audience. I'm excited to be here. My name is Katya. I am my day job, as I like to explain, is I am a producer for a morning television show locally here in the in California. Um, I've been in the news industry going on 12 years next month. So been in this industry for a long time. I started a newspaper, transitioned over to broadcast, which is where I've always wanted to be. And being in that space, I realized that there was a lack of representation at the time. And I don't mean that in a sense of like lack of representation in Latin news spaces. I work for, for an English dominant news station, but there was a lack of representation. If, if you work in broadcast, there's a certain look that you have, there's a certain thing. And I didn't feel myself reflected in that space. Um, and now I find it really inspiring and I, it brings me joy to see fellow reporters and newscasters and producers being themselves more authentic on camera. Um, I think that's very important because I did not see that when I started in this industry and we're just talking 12 years ago. That's not that long. And due to that, I started my very own podcast, Sipota Colocha Says, uh, where I tell stories that reflect nuestra comunidad, people of color, queer people, because I'm, I'm a part of the queer community as well. And yeah, it's my passion project and it's brought me back to what I love to do, which I did in a newspaper, which is one-on-one -on -one interviews um, and taking my other passion, producing and, and being able to produce my, my own show. That's incredible. I, that gives me so much in, insight into your love for telling stories and for sharing in this I think that we, we're in this era right now where a lot of us are feeling empowered to share who we are and, and telling our stories. And I'm also really glad that you brought up the idea of authentic newscasting and that that has, has inspired you to start your own podcast because I... When I think about newscasting and the news, there's a certain persona that you expect when you're watching the news, right? Like it's very professional and there's like a very professional aura to newscasting and you don't really see a lot of authenticity within news reporting. And I, and I think now it is definitely being more accepted in in the news world and that it it feels like you are also seeing that and feeling that and why it inspired you to start your podcast which is what something that I was I'm curious about like why do people start podcasting right it's because people want to share their stories and there's this this acceptance now and a lot more openness to being who you are and telling your stories. So thank you for that. 
can you tell me more about how has journalism impacted your life and your career? Ooh, um, I think it's impacted every aspect, um, pros and cons to, to, to everything. I'm sure those who work in law enforcement or work in the medical field can understand this. This Working in the news industry takes a really big hit when it comes to your mental health and when it comes to humanity. And what I mean by that is that you unfortunately report the worst of the worst awful stories. And the big question that I see a lot of people ask online is, why do I only hear bad stories on in the media, right? Forgetting that the media, new broadcast, newspaper, insert media here, it's a business. And therefore, unfortunately, horrible stories is what people really like to watch. And so I find it a bit ironic when I hear questions like that because the viewers themselves have the power to change what it is that we put on our broadcast. If you don't like to hear awful stories, then then don't watch. <laughs> you know, it's just as simple as that. It's reflected in 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 our viewership. On the flip side, I think it is very important in the basis of journalism for reporters and journalists to be a watchdog and report on injustices that you see um, in every aspect from the local, starting from the local level and then moving to the national level. There's power that comes with being in front of a microphone. There's power with being in front of a camera. And there should be, if you're a journalist, there's there's this protocol and this ethics that unfortunately I see some loss today that you do not insert yourself in the story. You are there to tell who, what, when, where, and why. Nobody is asking for your opinion. If you have an opinion to say, you say your professional opinion in 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 a way that it's reflected that this is an opinions piece. For example, in newspaper in 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 Newspapers and magazines, there's often a like opinions section where the reporter is able to say what they want to say about a piece. When you are reporting the news, you're just telling the facts and you're not, you know, nobody cares for your opinion. I see other news stations. Uh, I'm going to call out Univision on this one. Um, a lot of their on-air talent and anchors will give a story and then will give their opinion, which I find very insulting. <laughs> we all studied the same ethics. Nobody is asking for your opinion. Just, just say the story. And so, um, yeah, that I think I went off on a little tangent there, but um, we, we reflect, we say the worst, you know, murders, rapes, um, insert bad thing here, catastrophes, all the time. And when you work behind the scenes, you're looking at all of that raw. And so that does take a toll on your mental health. I'm not ashamed to say that I am in therapy. <laughs> I, I need to have therapy in order to reground myself and find something cheerful again, even though the show that I work for is uh, a mix of both. 
news and features. And, and that has been, I would say, my saving grace as to why I've been in this industry for so long. The negative side, it's made me very impatient. Um, when it when you're working on television, you have, I mean, you count down to the very second, like down to the second. And so when someone is telling the story and they don't get to the point, I when I'm having a normal conversation with my friends, my family, or my partner, I tend to zone out and I have to remind myself I'm not in work mode anymore. I'm just Gatia, you know, I'm not Gatia the the journalist or the television producer anymore. So it's kind of had a mix of of both pros and cons, like everything in life, I would say. Yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, when we see the world of media, newspaper and news as someone who watches it, right, like as a viewer, it's like you said, like it feels very produced for you, right? And then like you said, it's ironic because we're like, why don't we only see terrible things happen in the news and yet what attracts viewers is things like terrible things and and I I have seen data of people getting depressed watching the news sometimes and I I'm really I'm glad that you brought this brought up this piece around objectivity and like having that objectivity in the news right and then um, linking it back to what we were discussing earlier around authenticity and I think there's like this fine line it seems like when you're in the producer room and trying to create engaging stories bringing authenticity because that's what attracts people but also um, having the ethics to remain objective and I, I never thought about that before from the viewer side of things you know and now I think as in pod podcasting I think that that's something that I'm really grateful for because I think with podcasting there's a little bit more wiggle room to bring in your own stories and not be so strict to to have pieces that are just objective and just saying facts you know you can bring a little bit in from your own experiences and your own stories so thank you for sharing that why do you think it is so important to share in stories in general and to share our own stories as well? I think it's an honest reflection of our community. We're living in the States. We are in a very critical transition, I think, politically, personally, and nationally. What I mean by that is that you see, for example, we live in California. California is known for being a liberal state, correct? However, when you really go down to the community level, there's a lot more red and it may surprise people when they actually start to look at the graphics, despite California having a big diversity and cities such as LA, San Francisco being known for big political movements, you know, um, going back to the 60s 
and now I live in Sacramento for context. So there's a lot of political stuff that happened because Sacramento happens to be the capital of the state capital of California. But the more north that you go up to the state and even cities nearby Sacramento, they're a lot more conservative. And um, I think it's important to reflect that in all honesty and transparency, starting from the local level. I think media locally does that very well. In the national level, there's a lot of divide. There's a lot of divide when it comes to the LGBTQIA community. There's a lot of divide when it comes to something so simple as education and how education is being run in the country. There's a divide when it comes to people of color and people not realizing that when you're part of the community or you see it firsthand is the fact that there's racism. I, I can point, you know, to someone that down the street where I live that I know will not believe that I've been subjected to racism. And it's the spotlight right now is on the states in in the United States because politically it's there's a there's an effect that has happened due to the last presidency that we've had. And that has changed the outlook of what people view Americans outside of the world. Like I have friends that live in the UK and France and I get asked this all the time where it's like, what's, what's wrong with, what's wrong with you guys? You know, because they see us as ignorant. They see us as not fully informed. They see us as people who, for example, those who are in power should have retired a long time ago. And I agree. I think there needs to be a reform. They think our uh, Supreme Court now is a joke. And they also don't quite comprehend why when our, our school is set up in a way that really is set up for you to assimilate. If you're a person of color, you've gone through assimilation. Perfect example of that is if you if your first language was not English, you were con you're automatically considered an English learner, regardless of whether. And the only way that you can get out of that is if you're tested out of that, which I find it so weird because that sends a message that speaking another language other than English is wrong, versus other countries, for example, in Europe. That is normal. It, in fact, is is very accepted that you speak one, two, three, sometimes four different languages. And so, yeah, it's just an interesting time, I think, for everyone. And therefore, our voices are our power. And sharing stories that reflect the reality of our community can help hopefully inspire change and just overall bring awareness. Yes, I, I'm really glad that you said all of that and just just processing everything that you said because I remember when I was in elementary school and it was, and this was a very long time ago, it was in the 90s, early 90s, and our curriculum was bilingual. And my first language was Spanish but going to school, because our curriculum was bilingual, it allowed me to 
learn English and still keep my Spanish balanced. I felt I still had a connection to my language with my parents, speaking Spanish at home. And also I understood my role as someone who was born in the States and learning English and understanding that that's sort of the main language in a way. Even though, you know, even though my first language was Spanish and what we spoke at home was Spanish. And I think the idea of telling stories, it gets lost along the way when you're assimilating, when you're, you have those experiences, even though they seem so out of, you know, so normal, right? Like the idea of just, of just learning bilingual curriculum at school and then one day have that taken away because I remember when all of a sudden that was no longer the case. There was no longer any bilingual curriculums at, at school. And I think it was maybe third or fourth grade where everything was taught in English. And even though those experiences, when I look back at them, I never thought about them until now and thinking about those experiences impacting how we don't tell our stories, why we don't share who we are and why we don't share our identities and sometimes not even connect back to our history and our culture. And it's something that I talked with you when we had our last conversation is I'm starting to feel this connection back to my culture and my history and sharing in that. And I feel like that's sort of the next phase for me because it's it's I'm on this journey of trying to figure out, well, who am I and what do I want to do? What do I love? What are my passions? And a lot of my entrepreneurship has allowed me to ask those questions. But now I'm starting to really now dig even deeper into the history of my people and my ancestors. And it has the gateway or like to that was telling stories first. So I, I, that was a long winded, like I kind of went long winded there, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's true. No, I like to, I like to see that little spark when people are like, I want to learn more about my history and about my traditions. I think the only way people, communities, and humanity can avoid repeating certain cycles is really looking down at the nitty gritty of of history and you know, things are there left for a reason. It's for hopefully future generations to learn in full transparency what occurred so that they don't repeat the same mistakes as our ancestors, as, you know, past political movements, as the learning history is very important and there's an emphasis. But when and when history is taught one-sided by by countries who want to sweep under the rug the reality of how the nation itself was built that reflects back on the culture that reflects back on education that reflects back on how a system is set up and therefore it's like oh this feels like we've seen it before we we have like if you just go back to history and look and i'm just not talking about u.s history i'm talking about history worldwide world history you see certain political patterns therefore that's why a lot of people will say a nation will go through a big evolution every 250 years 
the United States itself is nearing that record. And we're seeing that already. There's a big political movement. There's a big, we're in the middle of a big labor movement right now with all these people going on strike. Um, So we're seeing history itself being played out right now. And so what are our kids going to learn, future generations going to learn based on what we have the responsibility, what we are, are doing? Awesome. All right, Katya. Thank you so much for that. Okay, so one thing that I'm truly enjoying, I know you, so we talked a little bit about the podcast. Your podcast is called Sipota Colocha Says, which is a call for, you know, the Salvadorian heritage and culture that we are a part in. And I, I must say, listening to your podcast has helped me to connect back to that part of who I am. As I'm reflecting on my experiences and my childhood, that sort of was quieted down for me living here in the U.S. And But listening to your podcast is sort of bringing and igniting that back for me again. How has learning about your Salvadorian history and culture impacted your connection to who you are? It's been, I would say, a very big part. The title of, of my podcast was made with with that sole purpose so that when people would hear it or read it, would know instantly what my background and what my culture is, which is very important to me. I grew up in a household where... Both of my parents are extremely proud of their origin. Ever since I can remember, I grew up listening to stories. And there were not all happy stories. If anybody knows any history of of El Salvador, you know that there was a terrible civil war in the 70s and 80s that ended early 90s that really prompted a lot of people to flee and my family on both sides were impacted very, very differently. On my mom's side, she was born into a family that was wealthy. They owned a lot of land. They owned a lot of um, property in Quesaltepeque. We had an aunt who owned land and exported coffee in el, what is now El Boqueron. On the flip side, my dad grew up very rural in El Campo um, as, you know, rural. He, I think, stopped going to school because he had to work, I think, in the third or fourth grade, something like that. And the Civil War impact on him was there was a lot of guerrilla members in that side going to those places trying to recruit. And if you didn't, and if you weren't recruited, um, they would, you know, do heinous violent act. I have you know, my mom witnessed several of her family members gunned down. At one point, she received a letter of of a death threat because she had helped an uncle escape. So all growing up with all of these stories definitely provide a, a big impact for me. But there was always a lot of pride and a lot of hope that they could one day return back or that they could one day go back, you know, um, because immigration is such a long and tedious thing. Like it took my parents 14 years for them to finally be U.S. residents. And, you know, and we're talking about two people that did everything by the book. They 
applied for a citizenship really or like residency very early on they paid their taxes they never even got a speeding ticket like the cleanest record and yet it still took two very hard-working individuals 14 years with no with no you know with everything that they needed to have in order to get a card and that first travel back to El Salvador was life-changing for me because when people live in your parents' country of origin, they only get a one side of the story, which is the United States is a land of opportunity. Everyone, you know, is able to get everything that unfortunately we cannot have here. On the flip side of that, they're very immune and don't know the struggles that people face if you're a person of color living in the United States. And so you grow up feeling othered just due to the way that the system is. And then you travel to your parents' country of origin and all of a sudden you feel welcome. And then I'll, and then after a short while, you realize that you're still not fully Salvadorian either because you were born in the States and therefore you're kind of stuck in no man's land. But I'm still... My podcast was made for that purpose, to create like conciencia, so to speak, of the struggles that we as first gen faced a lot of the time that a lot of people don't even know or don't even realize. And I rarely hear people back home, like back in El Salvador, talking about it. So glad that you are, because like I said, my childhood growing up, my Salvadorian culture I felt like it was quieted down for me, like that part of me. I mean, we knew, I knew. I woke up on Sunday morning. My mom would make me frijoles fritos con platanos y crema, la, the traditional Salvadorian breakfast. So I had that connection to El Salvador through food, through music. But... The actual history, I didn't learn about the Civil War until I was in high school, I think. And that's, I I find that a little bit baffling. How could I not know about that? But it is very difficult to talk about such trauma and traumatic events. And I can imagine that being why a lot of folks may not talk about that. And even growing up where I grew up in South Central, I grew up being around a lot of Latinos and black and brown kids. And I felt very comfortable. But I do remember distinctly feeling a little different because I felt that most of my friends, if not all, were Mexican. And I felt a little bit different being from Salvadorian being from El Salvador and I would actually feel a little bit ashamed saying that that was where my parents were from because I felt different because most of my friends were from Mexico and so I'm I'm glad that you're bringing that to the forefront a voice that's really bringing those stories and 
igniting that rich culture. So I just want to thank you for that, for, for being somebody who does that and brings that into, into media, into our stories and bringing that richness for our culture. Okay, I want to go a little bit into tarot reading because I listened to one of your episodes where you had talked about tarot card reading. Can you tell me more about your journey, how you became connected to tarot reading, and if you can expand a little bit more on, on that and the world of which, in which it exists? Absolutely. Oh, God. <laughs> so tarot uh, reading, just the whole occultism has always been very intriguing for me. Years later, I would find out why. Um, tarot, uh, I've got, I remember being very young. Pro probably I was four, a little bit older, like I would say between five or six years old, living in San Francisco, and um, at the time, and it's it's still slightly reflected, not as much as as when you know in the nineties, um, but on Mission Street there used to be a lot of botanicas, and um, we, my mom ended up going to a store, and I remember walking in with my parents. My dad was there with me. And over the counter, there was a, um, first the, the jewelry intrigued me, which was a lot of like evil eye jewelry. And then all of a sudden, I think I asked a question and the girl who ran was very young. She was like, must've been in her early twenties. She was in Santeria, was pre like prepping a candle. And I asked a question, but I was asking a question to my dad and she looked over at me, a young girl of five and said, oh, why don't you ask, just ask directly. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I got a little freaked out by that a little bit. Years later, um, when I was 14, I finally purchased my first tarot card reading or tarot card deck because it actually I still have it. I, I still own it. Um, and then after I purchased it, my mom said, oh, by the way, Tu abuela would read tarot. My grandmother passed away and before we were ever able to travel to El Salvador. And I found out that really interesting because she was an adventurer. My grandmother just took off with a circo one day. And when she came back, um, she all of a sudden could read tarot. Uh, my great-grandmother was a partera. So she was a doula. Um, and she would help cure kids from mal de ojo. Like these are all stories that I later would come out after being introduced to tarot. And I just started reading, learning how to read them on my own. I have a few decks. There's like a couple in particular that I feel very connected with, but I'm not a person that actively does reading. I mean, I've done readings on myself and I've done readings for like family and my friends. But they're not something, they're something that I touch with a lot of respect. And they're not something that I always touch all the, on a daily basis. Like some people will work with their decks daily. Now that I am in IFA, I kind of go a little bit more by intuition. Um, and 
there are days where I feel called to to pull to them and I just take that as a sign of there's something that ancestors are trying to get my attention and therefore this is the loudest way to to hear the message that they need to say but my practice has definitely evolved a lot more now that I've been that I'm in uh, Ifa going on 10 years now. Thank you. Thank you for that because I've actually been really interested in also getting connected further into my spiritual self and like into the spiritual world and what what would you say is a good entryway or like a good beginner starting point for someone who would like to get into that tarot reading or connected back into that sense of spirituality? Well, I would say a couple of things. I would say going to a store that offers or sells a lot of like spiritual things would be a good start and just kind of perusing the books and things that are there. And sometimes um, you will certainly find yourself drawn to something. And that may be the thing that will talk to you, you know, the deck that will wants to work with you. If we're talking about more the ancestral route and, and connecting more through our culture and identity through that, the biggest thing for me was when I went to the museum in San Salvador that has kind of like all of our history there. The biggest display that really kind of put things into, I guess, clicked in my head was a display actually about religion. Because if you look at our uh, Latin culture in general, there's a lot of ancestral practices that kind of have been married into religion, whether that be Catholicism or Evangelicos or, you know, whatever the practice is, which a lot of the majority are, are Catholics. But there's certain practices that we still do that don't have any base on the Cath on the Roman Catholic religion at all. They're actually ancestral practices that have been married into that in order for survival. Um, I think that's one of the biggest things that actually attracted me so much. And the calling that I felt for Ifa is that they've, yeah. in the Yoruba tradition, they've been able to kind of keep their ancestral practice alive because they were so smart about hiding certain practicing or masking, I guess would be the best word, certain religious traditional practices for survival and they've and it's been able to survive all these hundreds of years you know and so i would say that like go trying to find the history of like what our native people used to do and what some of their practices was like a lot of them being connected to earth, the spiritual spirituality and the respect for all living things. A lot of them were really gifted in candle work. A lot of them were also very gifted in divination. And, but unfortunately that was unfortunately like eradicated, but it's very interesting to see kind of like those worlds to this day still survive and still coexist 
one of the places that I'm really trying to go the next time that I go to El Salvador is, in fact, Ilo Vasco. Ilo Vasco is known for having a lot of traditional curanderos in the area. They've been able to kind of preserve our history there. There's really good um, fortune tellers. So I hear from, from family members who have gone and they still have a lot of traditional practices. So that is on my to-do list to go there just to emerge myself a little bit more culturally and work a little bit more with the ancestors in that way. Awesome. Thank you so much. I definitely will. I plan to visit El Salvador, I think, as early as next year. And I do want to I do want to be intentional about visiting El Salvador to connect back to my ancestors and the spiritual practices that were there. So thank you for the museum. I will come back to you and be like, where's this museum? Or I'm going to like Google it. I need to go there. El Salvador. <laughs> yes. I it's know. literally right in front of no, yeah, Museo J. Guzman, Museo Arqueológico J. Guzman, right in front of the Sheraton Hotel is our museum. I think there's the art museum is either above it or right next to it. Yeah, it's great. It's like I plan to go back just so I can like spend all day there because we went with like an hour before they closed. So we were like speed walking the entire thing. But yeah, they have like really cool architects and just artifacts from like our indigenous people that have been eradicated almost. And um, a couple of other times that I went, one of the things that I really wanted to go see was Las Ruinas de San Andres, which was that place really rocked my world when I when I went there. And um there's also like a couple of other Las Joyas de Senen, which I haven't been able to go, but you can actually see how um, native, the natives lived. And what I mean by that, like common natives, not natives that were tied into like the political movement. And it's actually very close to um, Las Ruinas de San Andres. So the theory is, is that it was this big, empire slash colony where the central of political movements donde estaba el mercado was San Andres which is where the chief lived because there's that pyramid structure there and then where everybody else lived you know the quote-unquote common natives lived in Hoyos and it's like completely preserved um so yeah those like I I will send you a lift of places where you can go and see because it's so cool. Just walking the ruins, um, uh, you know, El Salvador is, is volcanico. There's a lot of volcanoes and that have erupted throughout the history. And so what makes San Andres so interesting is that you're walking on top of the structure. So you see how the natural flora and fauna have covered the structures but you can kind of see the outlines and what you're seeing is actually the top of the pyramids. The entire pyramid has been covered by vegetation. Like this, there's an entire thing underneath that hasn't been excavated. I kind of don't want them to because it's just been preserved and covered by nature so well that it's just really powerful just to kind of walk along the structures and learn simple things of like 
cacao and how important cacao was to our native people in El Salvador, how the color indigo and las piscinas of, of, and the traditional way of getting the color indigo out, you know, that's all still there. So it was really, yeah, it's one of those places where you're like, wow, this, you just feel the connection to, to the earth. And it's just really interesting and really powerful to kind of see at civilizations that were so incredibly ahead of their time and coexisted and co-lived with like nature and surroundings and you know learned science and math you know things like that they were very skilled at that in architecture yeah incredible you're definitely making me want to go sooner <laughs> like rather than later so i will definitely do that and will definitely keep in touch with you about the different places i wrote down some that you talked about that's on my bucket list for sure how can people before we wrap up if people want to get in touch with you if people want to learn more about you or collaborate with you where can they find you i am on instagram um cipota colocha podcast I have my podcast that has the same title, Cipota Colocha Says. And then I also have a website as well, says.com. It has everything on there. Um, yeah, just shoot me a message. I, I love to share stories that reflect our Nuestra Comunidad. I love to show a reflection of, of provide these amazing stories so that people who are listening to them future generations that listen to them, kids, the show is very kid-friendly, can see themselves reflected and inspired to go into something. I remember being inspired when I was young just by my parents, igniting that curiosity. And I didn't have anyone to, to look to because they didn't look like me. And now we live in, in a time where so many of us, including your podcast, are creating this perfect example to provide that representation that you and I lacked growing up. Incredible. So I will have that for sure in the show notes. And please come to support Katya and the podcast. I'm so glad that you started that, that you're bringing those stories forward and really igniting the cultura and representing that, like you said, in a way that we didn't see growing up. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This has been so much fun. And for those who are listening, well, there's a bonus episode on my podcast where I was able to chat with you about your journey as well. Thank you. There you have it. That was my conversation with Katia Quesada. I had such a great time, so I know you had a good time. And again, I want to remind you to come on over to the show notes so you can learn more about Kat, visit her website, and come listen to her podcast. I can't wait for you to get to know her. I want to remind you to please come on over to BeABossCoaching.com where you can learn more about me. Listen to all the other podcast episodes that we have. We have some truly amazing guests. I have some solo episodes where you can learn and you can get some great tips and things that I've learned, things I share along my entrepreneurship journey. 
I hope that you leave a rating or a review if it served you. Tag me on Instagram and let me know that you have rated, reviewed, or even if you're just listening, that is truly appreciated. Have a great rest of your week and I'll see you all on Monday. Bye.